Well, we're well into the, uh, if you would, the year of the Bible, which we introduced at the beginning of 2018. You know, uh, the daily Bible challenge still exists, and I hope you haven't forgotten it, and I hope that you are embracing it and encountering God in Scripture every single day. doesn't need to be a long time, like I said, but let God speak every single day this year. We've got the Bible school. It's being taught by Carl. This is one of the areas that we're going to really miss, Carl. About, about 60 people coming together and, and digging in and learning. And we've been challenged uh, to, to go deeper in life groups Sunday mornings here. As I've spoken, we focused on the Word of God. We began, if you'll remember, with King Josiah, that man who, in, who discovered the Word of God. It was like this amazing, profound, almost earth-shaking moment in his life, and it had powerful influence in his life and the life of his people. We looked at King Asa most recently. There's this recipe from the Word of God for success and failure. And I hope it's impacted your life, and I hope you're moving more and more away from failure into blessing into following the Lord according to his word in such a fashion that your life is being transformed and blessed. Today we're going to carry on. This is a different focus, but it is still purely biblical stuff. We seek to hear from God and allow God's word to transform us, to change us. You know, the, the desire that we have, and it's written into our vision, that we would all become spiritually mature followers of Jesus. And if you bump to the end of that sentence, that we become people who are living passionately to bring the kingdom of God in all areas of our life. My hope, my prayer is that that's your journey right now. That's, that you're on the journey, that you are being transformed, that you are being changed. That not only are you becoming more spiritually mature as you dig into Scripture and as you encounter God, but you're also finding that passion well up within you that you want to live for God, right? All to Jesus I surrender. Everything laid before him, seeking him and his will only, that the kingdom of God is coming in and through your life in all areas of life. Um, you know, I want to talk about this, this dynamic, this reality of, of sharing Jesus and how it relates to all that I'm describing to you. And I want to read our mission statement to you as we look at evangelism this month. But our mission statement, sorry, yes, our mission statement says this. The first three words of our mission statement are incredibly important words, aren't they? We exist too. <laughs> now think about that for a minute. The purpose of our existence is, and then we note what the purpose of our existence is. What's the purpose of your existence? Like that's a profound statement, right? Why are you on planet Earth? You ever thought a lot about it? But I'm going to tell you, at least from our perspective as a church, we exist to introduce people to Jesus. This idea of evangelism, which can be that scary word, all it, all it is is introducing people to Jesus. We are here for that purpose, to deepen our faith, to participate in God's life-transforming story and serve others at home and around the world. We're going to focus on that first little phrase for a few weeks. Now I want to jump to the eighth sentence of our vision uh, statement and it says this we see a growing church where people share what God is doing in their lives through stories of personal transformation as we are being transformed so we share stories of what God is doing in us so that that would draw many people to faith in Jesus isn't that an exciting possibility isn't that a remarkable thing that God might do in us and impact the region in such a way that one location cannot possibly contain the blessing? We have a vision that through the people of God growing in faith, sharing their stories, that we'll have so many people come to know the Lord Jesus by faith that our building won't contain them or we're going to have to develop satellite churches. Now you look at that and you go, oh yeah, is that going to happen, Chris? If God's in it, the answer is yes. 
<laughs> it isn't a vision unless God's in it. It's not a vision unless it's a challenge and a, and, a, and a huge thing, if you would, for us to embrace. But we've thrown it out there, and we believe this is of God. And what it comes to is the reality of us introducing people to Jesus. And I want to talk about that for a few weeks with you. I want to focus in on that reality and kind of, kind of dig into it with you and see what it might look like. <clears throat> Here's what I hear about the reality of introducing people to Jesus, even speaking to people about Jesus in our culture. There are two points, and they seem a little contradictory. The first point is that's a really hard thing to do in our culture. It's not an easy thing to do. You know, you, you can't just walk up to somebody in the street and say, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? They would really not receive that very well. <laughs> you know, you can't get the, uh, the old soapbox like 100 years ago and stand on the street corner and start preaching. People will throw things at you. <laughs> uh, naughty words included. I've seen it happen. The culture is not open to that. They don't want that anymore. So it's hard in a particular way. I spoke with, um, with Mike and Danielle Van Wick, Van Wick last uh, Sunday to hear about their story of their three months in Africa last fall. And you're going to hear about that uh, story in a few weeks from them. And it was a remarkable experience of the reality of God in their lives. A remarkable thing. One of the things that they said is that people are so open to the gospel in Africa. They could, as part of teams, walk up to individuals on the street and share Jesus and people would want to hear They'd want to know. And even in those moments, they would see people come to faith in Christ. That doesn't happen here. It's hard here. That's one of the messages. But you know the other message? If you would, the other side of the coin. And that, and that is this, that people in our culture have a deep spiritual hunger. They have everything. We have everything, right? We're a wealthy people. But there's still a deep spiritual hunger in their hearts. There's a longing for something more. And when you can get into that right position in their lives, when you can get into that right relationship with them, there is huge opportunity to speak this incredible story of Jesus and our experience of him into their lives in a way that they will be receptive. It's, 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 it's seemingly contradictory, but it's not. My friends, there is opportunity for us to be people who share the story. There is opportunity for us to see many, many, many people come to know Christ through this church and its ministry. So what we're going to do for a few weeks is go to Luke chapter 15. I've preached on this passage to you before. I love this passage. It may be one of the, my most favorite passages in Scripture. It's a story of three lost items, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, representing people who are far from God, people who don't know God. And then in each of the three stories, there is a character who represents God, the shepherd, the woman who's looking for the coin and the father who's looking for that son to come home some of you might not know all this chapter and if you don't then go and read it luke chapter 15 get to know it we're just going to look at the beginning of it today what i want to suggest to you is as god has led me to this text he's led me to see something that i hadn't seen before has that happened in your life it happens to me all the time i've been at this for a long time but god just opens the text in a new way and I want to describe to you what I'm calling three dynamics that are at work in each of these stories. They're different dynamics, if you would, but they're there. And, and you know, the reality of the, each of these three dynamics, I want to suggest to you, becomes foundational to our understanding and to foundational to the experience of what it will be like to introduce people to Jesus effectively. We're going to have to grapple with them, and I mean that sincerely. If you don't grapple with this stuff, I will be disappointed and will have missed the mark. 
because it, it, it's stuff that's there that we need to, to dig into and struggle with even a little bit in order to see what, what God is leading us toward. I'm going to read to you in a minute Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, and I, because they speak to the context, and the context in this chapter is incredibly important. Um, the reality that um, Jesus is essentially, through these stories, speaking into the lives of people named Pharisees and teachers of the law. They're the religious leaders of the day. Uh, and he's trying to communicate something to them. He's trying to teach them about this very idea of what it means to introduce people to him, to share the reality of God that we have come to know and find so precious and so significant in, their li in our lives. But these people, the religious leaders, they're really not interested in this. They're really not. They're not doing it, and they're not likely to do it. So anyway, with that introduction, let me read chap uh, chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You know, you can almost hear the disdain in their voices. This man, you know, he welcomes sinners and he eats with them. And many of you will know, maybe you don't, but in the Jewish culture, to eat with someone was a very symbolically powerful thing. It was opening your life to them. It was welcoming them into your life. It was being um, uh, somebody who would say, hey, you're now part of my inner circle, and I care about you. And the reality of what we see in these people is while we would look at a scenario such as that, and we look at Jesus reaching out to tax collectors and sinners, tax collectors were notorious people and hated and sinners, well, whatever they were doing, they were doing. But it wasn't according to the law of God, either then or now. But there was, there was something in this context. We would look at that and say, that is fantastic. Go, Jesus, go. You know, like, you're doing the job. Tell them about the kingdom coming. Tell them that God loves them. Tell them about grace that can transform their lives. Tell them about this incredible thing that they can enter into through a relationship with you. We'd be cheering for Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, uh, they were actually annoyed that Jesus was speaking with these people. They, they were really troubled that he was welcoming, welcoming them into his life. The New Living Translation said they complained that Jesus was associating with such simple, sinful people. They were bugged. And as a result, very critical of the Lord Jesus himself. After this scenario was played out for you, come these three stories of three lost realities. And I'm going to read the first one to you, but what I want you to remember is Jesus tells these stories. He's telling it in the hearing of these religious leaders, and he is communicating something to them. All right? Here we go. Luke chapter 15, verses 3 to 7. Then Jesus told them, religious leaders, this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. It's like you ought to hear that and understand the context and go, oh my goodness, this is not a, this is not a wallflower, this man. <laughs> he is speaking into a reality and he is speaking into it in a powerful way. 
And I want to suggest to you is that he says these things to these religious leaders. There's a dynamic that rises up. Call it a principle, if you would. There's something that Jesus is saying that I want to play out to you and illustrate to you <clears throat> that is significant and prominent and powerful in his communication to them. And it is the dynamic of proximity. Dynamic of proximity. The story of the sheep. You know, the sheep is at a distance from the pen. And it is the distance from the shepherd who can protect it, you know, with his, with his rod and his staff, which Psalm 23 tells us about. The sheep is not where it's supposed to be. <clears throat> and to the character, the shepherd who represents God to us, this is a big, big problem. So what does the shepherd do? He goes and he finds the sheep and he brings it home to the place where it is supposed to be, in the sheep pan. Now think scenario. Think scenario. Tax collectors and, 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 and religious leaders seeing these sinners, sorry, Pharisees and religious leaders seeing these tax collectors and sinners surrounding Jesus in close proximity to him, right with him, you know? <laughs> and the religious leaders, you know, um, looking at Jesus and looking at him with disdain. You see, Jesus is describing to them the God reality, the God heart, the God thing to do. But all the while, they're standing at a distance and they're pointing fingers to a Jesus who is close, who is present with and present to these people that they would not come close to. This, <laughs> this thing that Jesus does, not only in fact but through the first story of three, tells us about God and what God is like. You know, the reality was that the earth before Jesus came was full of sinners. That's us. That's everybody. We're born in sin, right? The Bible says we do things that are wrong. We offend people. We offend God. And Jesus came from heaven to be God with us. Right? He became Emmanuel, God with us. He came to close the gap that existed between God and humanity. He reduced the distance between us to zero that he might be with us. And then example after example after example, in the life of Jesus himself, we see, this, we see the same principle of close proximity playing out again and again. Think of the story, and I'll try to briefly describe it to you if you don't know it, but of a little man named Zacchaeus. He indeed was a tax collector. He was hated. <laughs> he was a corrupt little guy. <laughs> he was short. And one day Jesus was passing by and he's, he climbed a tree because he wanted to see this one named Jesus. There was a man who was not very reputable, but he had a longing in his heart. There was a spiritual hunger in some way which wanted to connect with, see, understand this one named Jesus. Well, Jesus came to where that tree was and he stopped and he said, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to go to your house and have a meal with you. There it is again. I want to eat with you. I want to enter into your life, and I want you to enter into my life. I want to welcome you into my experience. Yes, even indeed into my heart. And Jesus, uh, Zacchaeus came down, and they had a meal together, and that man's life was transformed. He was introduced to Jesus, and he came to believe in Christ, and he was changed. Think of the story Jesus made up. The story of the Good Samaritan, a man who was beaten and robbed and lying in the side of the road, dying. And long come priests and the Levite, and when they see him, what do they do? They move to the other side of the road. They don't want close proximity to the man. They want to move away from him. And they walk by until the Good Samaritan, the Samaritans weren't admired in that day. That man came, and he 
picked him up and he probably bloodied his hands and he put him on his donkey and he took him to a place and he paid his money in order that that man might be blessed and healed. Proximity. Think of the story uh, in Luke 18, Pharisee and the tax collector. We know the, we know the story is the, the Pharisee and the publican historically, but two men who, who publicly come to confess sin and, and the Pharisee, the religious leader, stands up and he says, God, thank you I'm not like all other, other men. I'm not like other people. I'm better than them. You know, and he says, I'm not this and I'm not that and I'm not this and I'm not that. And then along comes this sinner, tax collector, and uh, he says, uh, God, I'm humbled before you and I am a sinner and I need your forgiveness. And Jesus says, it's the sinner who went away forgiven, not the religious leader in his arrogance and in his pride. But you see what it says when it's describing that scenario. It said, that that sinner stood at a distance from the Pharisee, at a distance, no proximity, no proximity. See, the question of the day comes to us, and the question is, what is our proximity to people who are lost, using the word from the three stories Jesus told? What is our proximity? Do we stay away, concerned about their sin, or are we in close proximity with them? Do we move toward them? Do we welcome them into our lives? Do we reject people because of how they live, or do we embrace them, if you would, and invite them into our lives, into our experience? Here's my read. Disagree with me if you choose. My read on it is this, that too often Jesus' followers line up more with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law than they do with the sinners. And I will label myself with that reality. You see, we separate ourselves from people because of their sin. Like, I get this. You know, we like to be with people that we're comfortable with who share our morality and who say words that we like said spoken and they don't say words that we don't like spoken and so on and so on and so on. Um, the point that Jesus is making to these <clears throat> Pharisees and teachers of the law, it's pointed, it's direct. It would have been a powerful statement to them is that that sin didn't bother him. He really didn't care because he loved these people. He cared about them a lot. And in this instance, Jesus is on mission. He is focused. He is intentional. He is purposeful. And he would not let these people's sin keep him from them. And this was a direct challenge to those religious leaders. And I want to tell you, my friends, it's a direct challenge to us, too, who can be too religious at times. Right? Now, each of these three stories, I want to tell you, there are um, three dynamics, as I've said, but I want to suggest there are three lies which underlie the belief uh, that needs to be corrected. And the lie needs to be corrected by the truth. And here's the lie in this story, that sometimes we live, it's maybe not conscious, but it's back here somewhere. It's in our history as the church. <clears throat> and that lie is this. I'm supposed to stay away from sinners. God doesn't want me near them, in close proximity to them. And the reason I would suggest to you, to you is that we have been that way in historical fashion is similar to what the Pharisees were encountering in this place because sometimes we think if we enter into that world, we will become like them. 
That's the old line. That's the perspective that has dwelled in the minds of people for a long time and still might. You see, literally the Pharisees thought if they were to go toward those people and literally if those people were to touch them, they would become contaminated. And this was the last thing that they wanted. The whole Jewish religious system was based on the idea that you cannot approach God unless you are holy. You can't do it and you shouldn't do it. That's what the sacrificial system was for. That's what ceremonial cleansing was about. That's what the purity laws were about in the Old Testament. This belief existed that, you know, it is obedience to the law that makes us holy in the sight of God. That wasn't right then and it isn't right now. But that's what was believed. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law believed because they lived in obedience to the law, at least to the extent that they could, that they were the pure ones that they were better than everyone else. There's a story told in Luke chapter 7 of um, a woman who came to uh, a party that a Pharisee was hosting and Jesus was present. And she was a woman with a reputation and had encountered, so the story tells us, incredible forgiveness from Christ. Jesus arrived at this party and he was not offered the Um, dignity of of what was common in the day that the host would provide a foot washing for him and he walked into the party and he began to participate in it and this woman came in and she sat down at his feet he was seated and, and she wet his feet with her tears and she washed his feet with her hair it says and then she took an incredibly expensive vial of oil perfume really and she anointed his feet with oil it was an act of worship and of love and of gratitude profound moment the Pharisee whose home the party was being held in said of Jesus if he were a prophet I mean if he were truly a prophet as he claims to be he would know what kind of woman this is the implication being really clear if he knew what kind of sinful woman this was he wouldn't allow her to touch him because in her touching him he would become contaminated And Jesus would have none of that. He celebrated her proximity to him. He welcomed her act of worship and of love and of gratitude. And he didn't consider himself contaminated in the least. You see, if the lie is that God doesn't want us with such folks, what's the truth? The truth is that God wants us with the lost sheep. God wants us to engage such people and to love them and to care for them and have a relationship with them and form a friendship with them. And he wants us in the context of that celebration of relationship to share this incredibly good, life-changing, life-blessing news that the kingdom of God has come, that the Son of God has come and he has died on a cross that we might have our sin forgiven and it doesn't matter who we are or what we have done, we can be forgiven of our sin and we can have a relationship with the living God. A relationship that will change us forever. And if the lie is that connecting with such people will contaminate us, what is the truth? Well, the truth is that we who are in Christ are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And we are made holy not because of our obedience to any law or regulation or rule. We are made holy in Christ. His righteousness is imputed to us. It's given to us as a gift. 
so that when God sees us, he sees only the righteousness of Jesus. My friends, we need not fear contamination. We need not fear at all so that we might act in grace and in love and in the confidence of what God will do through us if we will just enter close proximity to these folks and welcome them into our lives and love them. You see how Jesus-like that is? That's beautiful. That's awesome. Question again, what proximity? Can I put it this way? Do you and I have with non-believing people who don't believe like us, who don't live like us, who don't speak like us, who don't act like us? If there is no close proximity then our chances of introducing people to Jesus and sharing our stories with them and seeing God's love and grace and truth come into their lives and transform their lives, the chance of that happening is zero. It is nil. It's not going to happen. Multiply that by the four or 500 people who call IPC home and the likelihood of us leading many, 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 maybe even hundreds of people into a relationship with Christ, that too is zero. It is nil. What does this look like? What does this look like? Well, could we pursue friendships with some folks that we might not have thought of doing so with before? Friendships come and go, right? We're always kind of in that place where a new friendship is a possibility. Can we think and pray and say, Lord, how can I just nurture that relationship out of love? This is sincere, authentic friendship I'm talking about. This isn't kind of going in the street corner and preaching to people. This is saying, hey, I want to know you. I want to be your friend. I want to have an ongoing and lasting relationship with you. What about inviting neighbors or work colleagues into our home for a meal? And by that, I mean inviting people that we might not have previously thought of inviting into our home. Just have a meal with them. See, Christians love hanging out with Christians. And I'm not saying stop that. That's what we call fellowship and love. But isn't there a place for us to say, hey, you know what, folks? Let's just, let's just have somebody into our home. Let's open up our lives to some people. Let's welcome them in. Let's eat with them. And love them and be good to them. What about going to parties that you wouldn't go to normally? <laughs> Is it possible? Okay, well, you know what happens there, Chris? Where would Jesus be? How about inviting people to our parties that we wouldn't normally invite? You guys have parties? No one has parties. <laughs> Come to think of it, I've never been invited to one, so maybe you don't. I don't know. <laughs> of course we have parties of whatever description. But this is taking a step beyond what's normal, right? And this is the point. We can be too religious we can be those people who stand back and say, well, oh, 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 oh. and even sometimes think I'm better than those folks because I don't do what they do. I wouldn't invite them into my home. Well, what would Jesus do out of love for these people? I could go on and on and on, but you know what I want to tell you? We devise our entire, if you would, strategy as a church to free you up to engage people in this way so that you might go and do out there. 
in your own lives. I mean, we could pack your life with activity within our church. We could have multiple services and multiple engagements and have you here almost every night of the week. We don't do that. We say, come to Worship God on a Sunday morning and find your life group where you can find connection and community and support and love and spiritual growth and all those things. Let those be the primary ways of encountering church. And out of that richness, out of that uh, enablement, and out of that place where you encounter God, can you reach out to people and love them? Befriend them? Invite them in? Be like Jesus? I'm going to tell you a little story. It, uh, some of you might have a knowledge of this, and I might even get myself in a little bit of trouble with this one. I don't know. But some years ago, I heard of a minister um, who was going to the local watering hole, a bar, uh, to drink with the people who would go there regularly. Um, he was highly criticized. I didn't speak the words, but it was in my heart. Another confession. I thought, oh, come on, and I said his name. Come on. Uh, and his ministry didn't last much beyond that reality. I'm going to ask you again, if Jesus was here, where would he be? See, Jesus wouldn't, couldn't stay away from people who were lost, to use this, the word from the stories. He couldn't be at a distance from people who needed love and grace and forgiveness and eternal life and joy in God. And I think he would have been in that bar, and I think he probably would be still today. Oh! <gasps> See, if we, if, we, if, we, if we gasp too much, it says something about us. Are you, you might be thinking, Chris, are you saying you want me to go to a bar? It's probably the first time you heard that one, right? <laughs> Sinner. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> He's a good sinner. We're all sinners. <laughs> You know what I want to say to you in response to the question? The answer is yes, if you're like Jesus. If you love those people and you're going there because you, you can't stay away from them because you care for them deeply, because you are on mission and you're intentional and you are focused and you are passionate to introduce people to Jesus, go be with them and love them. Like really love them. Have authentic relationship with them. Be good to them. Why wouldn't we? Well, the only reason why we wouldn't is because we think we're better than them and we look down upon them. And I want to tell you, I can't describe a more unchristlike thing that his people can do. So we have a plan here. Our plan to introduce people to the Lord Jesus who don't know about him and who indeed are far from him. And number one, I want to say to you this. Number one, I want to say... Don't believe the lies. I don't know about you, but I grew up believing the lies that I've described to you. Oh, stay away, stay away. They're dangerous, they're bad. Contamination. Don't, don't believe the lie. Rather, get into a relationship with people who are loved by God and who need his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, and his love. You be the conduit through which the love comes. Simple. Number two. In those relationships as they develop, this is not new to you. Tell your story. 
I've told, I've told you before and, 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 and you've heard, you don't have to be a Bible expert, although we would like you to become more so, <laughs> but you don't have to be a Bible expert to tell of your experience of God. Right? You just tell him what he's done for you. I'm looking at a man who had a heart transplant who had a vision of Jesus. Isn't that right, Ed? Profoundly changed your life forever as you lay in that hospital, Dad. Now, we don't always have those dramatic stories, but that's a story and a half, don't you think? And I don't know what your stories are, but if you are his, you have a story about what God has done for you. And that story will impact people's lives. People who initially might not appear to want to hear about your religion, but when you get to know them and you gain their trust, have a hunger, have a searching, have a desire in their heart for something more than what they have found because that desire has been put there by God. And that desire is only satisfied in Him. So number one is... Don't believe the lies, believe the truth. Number two, share your story and see what God might do through it. I want to tell you, when you have folks that you love and form a relationship with and share your story with, bring them here. Take them to your life group. If they're hungry, they'll say, yeah, can I find out more there? Yeah, you can Sunday morning, oh, can I grow and understand more things more deeply? Yeah, you can. Bring them here, and we will help in their journey toward Jesus. And be passionate about that. Here's how I want to finish today. I want to ask you to do two things. I want you to be a people who pray that God will lead you in this. God, who in my life can I form a friendship with? God, who in my life can I invite into my home for a meal? Who can, in my life can I, you know, go to a party with? God, who? It's got to be prayer, right? It's got to be profoundly prayer-focused. And God will give you those people in your mind. He will lead you by His Spirit because He's setting something up that you probably don't have a clue about. All you know is that God's saying is take this step and God sees 16 steps down the line where that person comes potentially to Jesus. That's God's work. That's God's business. So number one, be prayerful and ask God who, how, show me, lead me forward. Number two, can I ask you to do this? Can I ask every single person here who's taking this word of God to them seriously this morning to take one action step of going, of being with, and of welcoming someone in to your life? Just one thing this week. You know, hey, you want to go out for coffee? Hey, you want to grab lunch with me today? You know, hey, I'm working on this at my house. Could you come and help me? Just one step in a journey that God will unfold. My friends, the reality is, in so doing, we will become like Jesus. Anybody here want to be like him? <laughs> Man, I'm in deeper trouble than I knew. Really? Here, I thought, oh, we can be like Jesus and nobody wants to be. Let's do that again. Anybody here want to be like Jesus? Thank you. Thank you. You've reaffirmed my faith in you. What I'm telling you today, what I'm talking about with you today is counter to, for many of us, a lifetime of understanding and practice. And the reality is so often we go to Scripture and we look at Jesus and we are confronted 
with what is to be, but which is not normal. So I want you to be abnormal. I want you to be intentional, purposeful. I want you to be on mission. Because the reality is that we exist. You exist, if such is the case. You exist to introduce people to Jesus. Now that you know how, I hope you will. Let's pray. God, we don't want to be like those Pharisees and teachers of the law. Like we really don't. We don't want to think we're morally superior. We don't want to think that somehow we're better than people. And we don't want to be critical of people just because they don't live like us. They don't live like us because they haven't met you yet. And if they did meet you, they'd probably start to change to become more of what you desire. But they're not there yet, God. And the reality is that you love those people and you want us to love them. And that what's necessary for us to get into that place of being able to effectively introduce people to Jesus is close proximity. I want to pray for every Christ follower in the room today, Lord. Whether they're new Christians or whether they've been at it for a long, long time. I just pray, God, that you'll help us all to take one step toward relationship, to welcoming people into our lives, to loving people. Um, And we might not have taken a step toward before. God, it's such an exciting thing that we can be used, we can get caught up in what you want to do in reaching into the lives of precious people. And we pray that you will enable us to do that, that you'll lead the way. God, give us that person that we can invite to into our homes or for a meal or go out for a cup of coffee or for lunch. God, give us that person of your choice that we might just be good to and love as Jesus was good to those lost folks out of love. Lord Jesus, we do want to be like you. We pray that you'll give us the wisdom and the courage to take one action step this week. And we pray this in Jesus' name.